Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast presented by BetMGN. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Patrick Williams from TheHL.com. And we're here for a little Calder Cup final postmortem. Patrick, all the way back from Coachella Valley, you're, uh, you've been all over the place from Hershey to Palm Springs to back and forth. How are you, man? Uh, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> got back in one piece, so that's, that's a success. It was a long trip, but... Um... Finally back, I guess is probably the best way to put it. I take it you didn't, you know, with Hershey going down 2 nothing after the first two games, I take it you weren't expecting to head back to Coachella Valley, were you? I don't think anybody was, right? I mean... Totally. I, and I know the coaches both said, you know, that the games are closer than, than sure. the scores indicate, but I'm sorry. When it's 9 nothing in the first two games... Totally. Nobody is looking at that and thinking, like, yeah, we're going to go... We're going to go to a game seven. And in fact, by game six, Hershey's going to have a chance to win it. Uh, I don't think and, anybody, their wildest imagination would have. And that. Hunter Shepard becomes playoff MVP. I don't think that was on the bingo card either. Hunter Shepard becomes playoff MVP. Hershey takes three games at home, all one goal decisions, two of them in overtime. Uh, I still remember right after that game five being downstairs and Coachella, the players just looked like what hit them, right? And mm-hmm. then they come out in game six and they blow the doors off Hershey in, in, in that game, right? Like, and, and then you're thinking, all right, so Coachella's got this figured out. It's a game seven. They go up game two nothing in game seven. I was saying to you off the air, like I pretty much had most of my story written up at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's two nothing late in the second period. Hershey really didn't have a whole lot going on even. It wasn't even one of those cases where you would be saying, well, you know, Hershey's pushing and, and Joey DeCour is just standing on his head. It was just like Hershey was kind of just skating in the mud a little bit. And then they pop one in and like, it's just like, okay, they have life. Uh, they get a second one by the end of the, the period, three minutes later, uh, they play overtime or they go into overtime. Andrew Polarowski has a breakaway. One of the best players in the league in the last five, five, 10 years. Stopped by Hunter Shepard. And then just, you know, classic overtime goal for her. She kind of just throw the puck on the net. You get a bounce. Mike Vecchioni is uh, kind of off to the side there, swats in the rebound, and that's a series. And I'll never forget how, like, that building was was so loud. Uh, you know, like, I, I had a drink on the table. Literally, it was like the water was vibrating. Um, and then how quickly it went from that to nothing, like dead silence. It was it's one of the, the more eerie kind of um, – transitions i've seen in my like up close my entire career we talked last episode i think it was just about you know the crowd and coachella how they've adopted the team and you know we'll get to that i'm sure throughout this the course of the conversation but the hershey bears like what what happened at the giant center over those three nights it looked pretty incredible yeah yeah i mean 
classic, classic franchise in this league. Um, I've said this before. They, they they almost run it like it's a it's a mini NHL operation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as NHL AHL affiliations go, they they have a fair amount of um, say in, in mm-hmm. how things are run. Like a lot of times, it, it's a very top down. The NHL team says to the AHL operation, "Okay, this is this is how it's going to be. These are your players. This that that that." Uh, the Washington Capitals and the Hershey Bears now they've been together since two thousand five. Chris mm-hmm. Patrick, who runs things from the Washington side, Brian Helmer, friend of the show, runs things from the Hershey side. They have a good relationship. So there's a lot of give and take, a lot of kind of like uh, mutual decision making. What works best for the Caps? What works best for Hershey? They're trying to find a solution. And so uh, Hershey's just a unique, unique setup in that regard. And then obviously that fan base now. I mean, you got people that have been season ticket holders for 50, 60 years in some cases there, right? So like, um, a lot of ways, it's a very different um, experience in your, your typical AHL building. Um, and it was very kind of wait and see for that game three when they came back. Like you could sense the tension was there for the fan base. Hershey managed to, to, to get that win. And then from there, you know, that, that building was fully engaged uh, really the rest of the way. And then uh, Hershey had been a good home team this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, even a very good home team, but I didn't see them winning all three against that Coachella team. I mean, that Coachella team was just an excellent team, really top to bottom. This was a team that that knocked out Calgary, uh, another excellent team. Uh, I think what Hershey did, this for me, like this goes down as one of the most, at least certainly in my time, most memorable and maybe shocking um, series in, in terms of how it unfolded. Kind of the like the give and take of it, the like back and forth, right? Like, just when you think you had the series figured out, throws a whole nother, you know, uh, curve at you. So um, definitely a series I'm going to remember for a long time. We should have Brian Helmer on the show, but I don't know if he'll hear us because his Calder Cup rings are plugging his ears. That's his fourth. fourth. Three is a player. One is or his first as an exec. All he does is win. Um, Todd Nelson, same thing, right? Is his fourth? Fourth. Two as a head wow. coach, one as a player, one as an assistant. So, uh, wow. And uh, with all f- four different teams, too, right? So, like, uh, totally. You know, I mean, Nelson is, I guess Nelson for me is like one of those questions where, like, where does he get his NHL's chance? Like, I mm-hmm. know he had that, he had that chance with Edmonton uh, back in 2014 as an interim, but like, that was just, it's a cup of you coffee. know, half a season, you know, yeah. basically, like, you know, mind the store while we figure something out. Like I'm talking about a real like bona fide chance. It's never come for him so far. And players guess, love him and he wins, he develops and yet the chance hasn't come. So with Nelson, like what did you think he, you know, with them coming back down two Oh, first off, how did that all come together from your vantage point? And secondly, like what about what Nelson did really captivated you or caught your eye rather? <clears throat> Just like continuous adjustments, right? Like, you know, like Hershey, you know, kind of their, their, their bread and butter has always been like a, a heavy forechecking, grind the puck down low team, right? And mm-hmm. They have a decent amount of speed, but certainly nothing what Coachella had. Totally. And just, they seem like they just continually bend but don't break, right? Mm-hmm. And like Nelson's very good at like two things. Like he's very good at obviously at the people skills, uh, getting his players to really buy into his message. 
But what really impressed me this series was just his ability to make the tactical adjustments time and time again. Like Coachella would throw one thing at them. Nelson says, okay, I'll take that and I'll raise you one. And he'll do that. Coachella counter, counter upset. Nelson has another thing. Like, and I think I mentioned this our last show. Like, this was different in the sense it was a best of seven series, and it went all seven games. Like, this isn't a best of three or best of five, where maybe you, you're you're a coach and you reach kind of into your your toolbox. All right, you have your maybe two or three options that you can reach into. By the time mm-hmm. you're into game six, game seven, like you've been through all those options. Now you're reaching further and further into that toolbox, and you're maybe having to pull out option five or six. Yeah, and like he just always had another another step he could take another curve he could throw and even right in the game seven this is the way that like you know you saw especially i think in the second half of the game the way hershey's you know they not only were sitting back they were sending their defensemen and you know driving the net right like like uh, on rushes like and i thought like Coachella, like they didn't know what they didn't know what to make of that right like because they were the ones used to driving the play dictating the style now hershey is putting them back on their heels and like you could just see like like it's one thing to have to be a great tactician. It's another thing to actually be able to put it into practice. Mm-hmm. And like it takes on time, short notice too. on short notice and to get your players to not only trust in what you're doing, but to go out and actually ex- execute it. Right. And to not just not something that you've done all year, but something just, it's a, a little bit different from, from, from the norm. And um, it takes a lot of trust between both sides, between players and coaches. Uh, the players to know that, okay, if we do this, we're not going to get completely blown off the ice if we try it. And obviously for the coach to know that like, Hey, I trust these guys enough that we can, we can go a little bit of our whale out of our comfort zone and try something very different. Right. And Mm -hmm. in the biggest game of the year, the biggest period of the year and do it and then actually go out and make it happen. So like, it was just impressive how they continuously, Adjust, counter adjust, you know, readjust. They're like whatever they had to do, they did it. And Coachella just—they uh, were so used. Coachella was so used to dictating play throughout the playoffs, mm-hmm. and then by the end of the series, it was Hershey that was starting to dictate it. And that was, I think, for me, that would be the big takeaway with Nelson. If you're a Washington Capitals fan, there's lots to be happy about. Two mm-hmm. people in particular. Connor McMichael and Hedrick Lapierre, two recent first-round picks, each had pretty big finals performances. Let's start with McMichael. That's interesting because I talked to Todd Nelson. I mentioned this a couple times now, but I wrote a story for the Hockey News about how, you know, McMichael in his sophomore year, he played the full year, his full rookie year in the NHL, comes down to the AHL this year and took him a little bit to get going, but he, you know, he ended the year with like 22 points in 26 mm-hmm. games, something like that. And I talked to Nelson. He was saying how, you know, in the playoffs, the rigors of, of the Calder Cup playoffs are a really big test for a guy like McMichael. And I thought for him, you know, two big goals in this series, game six, game seven, both of which were in the slot, you know, which is his kitchen. It's hard to find real estate in that area. He was able to do so elusively and get a key goal. I think a lot of progress was made for McMichael in this series overall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned both of them. Um, they had the, the two goals that set the game to overtime, right? Like three yeah. minutes apart in the second period. Like, you know, that wasn't the veterans driving that bus at that point. That was totally your two Come. first round picks doing it. Right. And, and great point about McMichael, like, yeah, driving the net on both plays um, with him. I noticed like at times I felt like 
during the season he would kind of blend into the you know background a little bit. Mm-hmm. By the end here in the playoffs, you could see like he had that. And it's a little bit of a cliche, but it's true that that swagger, like like hey, not only do I belong here, but I can I can be a top player. I can drive the play here. Like mm-hmm. put the puck on my stick, I'll do something with it. Um, and that's what I noticed with him. Like and that's. I think if I'm the Capitals, that's what I'm excited to see him bring to training camp in September uh, and make, like, not just kind of make a bid to, for a spot on the team, but, like, force himself on, on the team and, and say, like, I'm not going back to Hershey. And, and totally. like, that, that, that confidence, that swagger is, I think, really what he'll take away. Like, he knows he can do it now against mm-hmm. um, top-tier competition. He knows that he can do it, you know, in, in high-pressure situations in a hostile building. And he can do it repeatedly, like you said, both games six and seven. So for him, I'm really excited, like because I do feel like the last really year, year and a half before the second half here, like it was tough. Like he played all of last year in Washington, but that's a veteran team. You're not getting your playing time. This year, really, was a, a very bad start in Washington for him, and ends up coming down. And what I like about how the Capitals managed it is that they didn't start doing that thing where, okay, you have a good weekend. We're bringing you up for a couple of games. Like mm-hmm. they let him sit, right? The, the message was you're in, in, in Hershey. We want you to master the American hockey league. And only then will we bring you back up to Washington. And they never did. That was, he went down November 20th, never came back. And um, so I think he was able to really sort of get, get settled in with Hershey. Um, became kind of part of that, that, you know, not the veteran leadership core, but not, you know, he's kind of that bridge between the veterans and the really young first, second year guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he started, I think, just sort of assert himself more and just on and off the ice, just feel a little bit more like coming into his own and like, Hey, I belong here. I'm a, I'm a pro and um, I'm part of this team. And the, you know, the, I'm going to help be one of the guys that really drives this team four rounds of playoff play. I think if they were to have brought him up and done the the sort of elevator approach where you you're mm-hmm. sort of like what Columbus did this year where there was guys going up and down. A lot of yeah. teams do it for different reasons. But it would have been problematic for McMichael because the mandate was go down the American League, be an impact player, play a 200-foot game, develop that sort of knack of being a player to relied upon. If they were to bring him up and down, you're going from a team in Hershey that plays a low-event, physical grind style game to the NHL where, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of, of the differences or similarities between the systems, but I would assume that Michael would be deployed a bit differently with Washington. Mm-hmm. So he was able to have some stability there. And then you look at the playoffs. Sure. You may say, Oh yeah, 10 points in 20 games, nothing crazy. But as I kind of alluded to Hershey, wasn't a crazy goal scoring team. Like they, that's not how they were winning games. It's not how they were progressing. They were grinding teams down. And then when you look at the goals we referenced, Game 6, Game 7, those were timely goals. And the mm-hmm. importance of that can't be understated. And I'm happy you correct me with LaPierre because you're right. It was those two guys, McMichael and LaPierre, driving the bus in them coming back into the game there. And and it was huge. Let's focus on LaPierre. He, he's a playoff-style player, hey? I mean, mm-hmm. like he, that's just his game. I think net front, he was able to, to gain some more real estate as well. A lot to like about his game. What did you see throughout the series? Yeah, you know, like another player where, you know, he started off in, in Washington last year for those six games and, like, made the team out of camp and everything's looking good. Ends up having – he's another player, I think, that would have really benefited 
play in the HL last year, but that wasn't possible. So he goes back to the queue. Mm-hmm. Um, has it, you know, what you would expect there in terms of numbers. Came down to Hershey this year as a rookie. Eh, he had his ups and downs, right? Like, it, it looked a lot of times like, hey, like a, a first-year player trying to figure out this league. Um, and then the playoffs, you know, production-wise, and, and I know that's not the only part of a player's game, but let's be honest, that's what even players themselves, they need that positive reinforcement, right? Like, where you're doing the things that you, you're being told to do. If you're not getting rewarded with the points, I think it'd be, it'd be tough for some young players to to continue to buy in. Well, he kept buying in, kept buying in. Anyway, I think fortunately for him, and first, obviously fortunately for her, she, he got that big payoff at the end, right? Like that 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 second goal there in Game Seven. I mean, just a classic example of a guy like learning the pro game. You know, stationed right in front of the net there, learning to battle in front of the net get positioning and it was a huge goal obviously and um you know he's a, he's not as far along as what michael is like i think definitely there's probably another year or two of work in the, in the i agree NFL for him but you know for you know 22nd overall pick he's he's starting to find his game i want to see him kind of take that same path where next year maybe year three he goes from being kind of a you know a part of the hershey team to be one of the guys really kind of leading from the front. So this is a huge step toward that. Um, I think everybody, now they come back, you, know, you come back next October, mm-hmm. you're a champion, right? Like totally. you have that, that, that label. Now you have that swagger and uh, it would be really good for him. I think to have that uh, and then carry that, uh, you know, in for the next year, year and a half, two years, even in the age well, I remember when the Marlies won the cup in 2018, right? Like that kid line of Brooks, Marchman, and Moore, that was the fourth line for a, a veteran-heavy Marlies team. The next year, Moore is, you know, close to a point-per-game player. Brooks was progressed as well. Same with Marchman. And just that Calder Cup final experience really yeah. translates. And I think what it does, too, is I think it's so underst- so understated is to be able to thrive in a support role is so important. Like, unless you're a, the top tier prospect where you're going to be a top six guy, top four defenseman, you, and a kind of guy like a Juracek or Edvinson on defense, or, you know, just a player where you see them and you go, they won't be here long. Mm. I, I don't know if that's necessarily that important. Um, I think minutes are big, all situations. But when you're sort of on the fringes and, and, and you don't really know the guy yet, that sort of repertoire and that ability is so key. I think, especially, you know, when you're trying to when you're trying to prove to the, the team that drafted you, hey, I, I'm not a one trick pony. Being mm-hmm. able to be in a support role is extremely important. There, there was also, you know, on Coachella Valley, obviously another veteran heavy team, some great performances from players. We've talked about it at length. It's a skinny cupboard of prospects in Seattle, but there's some real gems mainly with Riker Evans. What oh, yeah. a fantastic playoffs he had. And I think he's he's kind of knocked out or maybe surpassed every expectation you could have for him. Oh, my God. Like, one he's of those really players player. where when the puck's on a stick, you just – and obviously it's probably the worst thing if you're, de- you're, you're, you're playing against him, you're defending against him. You do find yourself just kind of like you stop and watch him, right? And you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean – yeah, and I, that's where I think a lot of opposing teams get in trouble because he does have that kind of ability to mesmerize you what he can do with the puck on the stick. and um, Plays with, I mean, unbelievable levels of confidence, right? Like, 
Um, and just a sense of like, he controls the play. Like he's a quarterback already, right? Like first year player. And, and, and me, like you said with Seattle, right? Like it's, it's still a thin group, right? In terms of prospects, they've only had two cracks at the draft table so far. Most of their picks have even come into that 20 year old uh, threshold in terms of turning, uh, going into the AHL. He more than makes up for whatever they lack in quantity, like in terms of quality. Like, I mean, he mm. was a second round pick, high second rounder, but like, if you did a redraft, he's first round easy. I mean, like, just so poised, so composed. Um, a player you can put out there in any situation um, in terms of, uh, you know, time of the game or, you know, score, whatever the case may be. And you feel confident. Like, like I, other than maybe maybe Broken Rafferty there, he was a veteran. Um, I just always felt like, well, if Evans is out there, then things are calm, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's got to be a good feel if your Dan Bosman's a coach, right? Like your rookie defenseman is the guy you can put out there, and he can settle things down. Like so, uh, I won't be surprised to see him make a good push next next fall at training camp. Uh, if he is back in the HL, I mean, I don't think it will certainly be for a full year. He'll he'll be one of those guys. I think you know. Maybe he starts in the AHL for six weeks, and before you know it, he's off to the NHL to stay. Uh, but th- that's an NHL defenseman right there. Uh, if he isn't in right now, he's real close. Um, and maybe just uh, you know, little things like get little, get stronger, that sort of thing. But like that's that's certainly something you can control. Uh, but just in terms of the way he sees the ice, the vision, the, the ability to distribute the puck, the ability to uh, create plays where they're would most players wouldn't even see the opportunity. Mm-hmm. He I can agree. do it. Absolutely. hundred percent. But it's also like, he's one of those players where the profile of him stylistically, you know, attribute wise, everything, those guys either, if all goes well, they can take the runway and become an NHL player or they can fizzle out. The real test is, can they, can they really take on all situations, log big minutes? Can they, play you know can they, can they handle tough matchups and Evans can do that while also driving offense so that was really the big thing for me I think in terms of yeah. of selling his upside and yeah you know he, he was finished third in scoring let all defensemen great and that's awesome but that's not to me when I when I look back on Riker Evans's playoffs and when I look forward as to what he brings to Seattle I don't know if he'll score a bunch of points in NHL but I don't know if he necessarily has to I think his ability to, to transport the puck and bring you from the D zone to O zone, that'll be his bread and butter. There's a yeah. currency to that in today's NHL. And I think that he he plays a responsible game. I don't think he'll ever have a problem with Riker Evans where a coach won't play him because he's, quote, you know, quote-unquote, not safe. I think Riker Evans appeals to the new guard and the old guard in, with regards to that, for sure. Absolutely. And that's a great point, right? Like, um that ability, yeah, to it, that new and old guard, like the, the two different uh, approaches to the game. I think sure. He he checks uh, both of those boxes in terms of uh, uh, yeah. just that comfort level, right? Like that's I, I think that's the biggest thing for HL players is is winning that trust and that confidence from an NHL coaching staff that they can put you on the ice and and they can they don't have to worry, right? Like. So many players that that that's the last hump, the last hurdle they have to get over. Um, and I think if you watch him, like he's already done that. He did that, you know, for for you know, obviously for a very accomplished head coach in Van Vilesmo, right? Like I think that was 
a great way for him to really grow his game, right? Like you come in as a rookie with, with tons of potential, obviously tons of natural ability. And then within a year you have uh, guys, you know, want to stand the top, helping you really kind of shape that, that talent and make it NHL style, NHL ready. I think that's Mm -hmm. where Evans is at right now. I'm not saying anything, but what I'm about to say, I don't want to discount Hunter Shepard. But I think that if there was a world where the playoff MVP didn't have to go to, not have to, but didn't typically go to the winning team, sort of like I think J.S. Shiger when you're won the Conn Smythe, right, when he when the team didn't win the Cup. Yeah. Joey Decord had an unbelievable playoffs. Yeah. 9.26 percentage in 26 playoff games. Just the rock. And, and it's fun. he's a household name there. Man, he's a legend, yeah. it seems like. Oh, my God, like, yeah. It was insane. They've been in existence for you know one year, and the guy is going to have a street named after him. It seems like, uh, you know, do you think Joey Decord is this is this an instance where it's a breakout party for him, or maybe he was always someone that kind of had this sort of performance capable in his holster? Well, yeah, I knew he was a good goalie, but like I think for me, the most impressive part was to play twenty six games in two months, playoff games. Incredible. Set an all time record in the AHL, you know, most playoff games by a goalie in one one playoff. Hmm. Um, to do it, and I think he did it against a number of teams, right? Like you had some of the running gun teams. Yeah, yeah. Like then you had the grinding teams, like different kind of styles, different challenges to overcome as a goalie. He never um, really dipped. He never really he never dipped. dipped. Yeah. And like um had that like just that composure, right? Like, mm-hmm. like just gay. Let's in a, a tough goal, no problem. Move on, right? Like, like, and that's the thing that like often separates NHL goalies and NHL goalies. It's just that ability to not let one one mistake turn into two or three, you know, right after another. So um, that's the part I like for him. Like, he's going to be a UFA. Uh, it will be interesting to see what both he and Seattle want to do here because um, he's going to certainly, you know. It, it, you call it recency bias or whatever, but like, you know, it's fresh in everybody's minds how well he played and what he did. I think he'll get a lot more attention. Um, you know, but I think if you're Seattle, they, they, they have a spot probably open there as a backup next year to fight with mm-hmm. Chris Jeter. Um, he certainly took that uh, job and, and, and never even, there was never even a, at any point in the playoffs did look like, well, you know, maybe Biosmo will turn to Jeter, you know, as, as, as an alternative. That was that was Joey Decord's net from, from day one, and there was never a chance anybody else was getting it. So, like, but on the other hand, could I see him possibly maybe go to a San Jose um, to make a push there for a job? Right. Like, he has a lot of options, right? Like, and uh, he's a guy. He's one of those guys, right? Like, so he went to Ottawa originally, coming out of Arizona State. That mm-hmm. Didn't quite work out there. Goes to Seattle in the expansion draft. Plays last year in, in that split affiliation in Charlotte. This was like, I, I feel like his first real shot. Yeah. Like this was his team, his net, like his everything, right? And it, it, and he took it and he made it work, uh, I think, beyond anyone's belief. Well, I think, too, you know, he was also a guy where at each stop before, he was good in, in mm-hmm. limited numbers, right? Like, you yeah. know, since he turned pro over 98 games, he has a 918 save percentage. Over yeah. a sustained period of time, it's pretty solid. And I think you're right. I think we could definitely see him compete. I, I think 
I would agree with you that I could totally see as he weighs his options, Decord leaning towards a place where, hey, you know, I could have a shot at really staying in the NHL all year. I mean, mm-hmm. he'd be crazy not to. But I also could see, you know, see, I could also at the same time see him returning to Seattle because of A, you know, the possible opportunity, and B, maybe there's, not maybe, I, I would suspect he'll be paid quite handsomely at the AHL level too, right? And oh, yeah. I mean, that does factor into things as well. Well, look at Charlie Lindgren last year, right? Like, totally. Sort of a similar thing, a guy then kind right. of been bouncing around the AHL a little bit. Mm-hmm. Was on that, kind of that line of like, is he, is he still having an NHL window open at all? Well, he had a great playoff, went, got a three-year deal with the Washington Capitals. Crazy. Um, one way, uh, over, I think it was $1.1 million. Never looked back, right? So, like, I think, well, I think certainly if you're Joey Decord, you're looking for a one-way, right? Like, oh, no more sure. of this two-way stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. one-way, 100%. Um, and I think if I'm Decord, I wouldn't really settle for anything less than that, you know? Um, and I wouldn't be surprised I think somebody will offer it. And I wouldn't be even surprised if Seattle did that. Like, I think someone will sure. give him a one-way there is such an importance to have a good third string goaltender nowadays. Right. I definitely think, and, and you know, you see it where teams will pay a one-way guy, like someone, a one-way contract to be in the minors and be depth, be around their prospects, whatever. There's no greater value than doing that with a goaltender, right? That has some NHL utility. So I definitely think I, I would agree with you on that front. Oh, we just saw that with the biggest golden Knights, right? hundred percent. Right, like four guys or five. Where, guys. where would they be if and, they didn't have that goaltending depth? They would not have been winning the Stanley Cup, I can tell you. Well, it's funny because we had it was in back in October. We had Roberto Luongo at the Hockey News offices, and he had a talk with uh, Ryan Kennedy, the editor chief, mm-hmm. and Graham Rustin, our, our publisher. And because he's like the like, I think he's director of goaltending, or I don't know the official title now, but he made a really interesting point about how the goaltending position now is kind of like a pitcher's in baseball, where you've you've you know, you, you see less and less guys that are workhorses playing, you know, the hell bucks to Vasilevskis. There's a lot more of a split workload. And then also, by the same point, you need to have a solid bullpen, right? And that's yeah. where the HL comes in. And I think Pat Vegas is a great example. I'm glad he brought that up. If they didn't have that depth, if they didn't invest that money in that insurance, there's no chance they win a Stanley Cup. So and it's a copycat league. So as much as everyone's saying, "Oh, will will teams make bold trades? Will teams not pay on the goalie market because of Vegas?" No, I think teams are going to say, "I want to pay a one way to have a good third string goaltender." So I'm not, you know, overpaying if if someone gets injured or whatever it may be. So I agree with you on that. Um, Let's get to before we sign off for today. A bunch of coaching news um, in in the AHL. It seems like by the minute. I I mean, with our luck, something probably is going to pop up as we're court is like everyone just wants to change up their coaching staffs on us um the first one i want to get to is ryan craig uh you know after winning the stanley cup probably no better news to follow that to get your first uh you know full-time head coaching gig there with henderson any surprise that he's the one taking over for manny vivaros uh not really no um really like you look at his resume, like this was the natural next step for him. It's uh, what six years as an assistant with the Vegas Gold Knights. He stepped right into that job immediately after retiring uh, from the AHL. Um, he was a captain in Lake Erie when they won the cup in 2016. Uh, your classic guy that had to like battle for everything he got at this, you know, level played. I mean, but he did play, uh, you know, almost 200 NHL games as a player. Uh, I remember him as a fantastic leader, um, really charismatic. Very, uh, very 
very people oriented. So I think he'll he'll fit in well with that group. Um, they obviously know him well. I mean, you know, especially the fact that Vegas and Henderson are essentially in the same markets. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a real solid hire. A guy that was a captain uh, pretty much everywhere he went. Uh, he's a winner now too, right? Like he comes into that job as a Stanley Cup champion. He was a big part of that. Uh, Vegas coaching staff worked with obviously you know a number of different head coaches uh, with the Golden Knights. So uh, kind of a real well-rounded resume to bring into your first head coaching job at this level. And it makes a lot of sense too because you know when you have a team that wins the cup, naturally every part of the operation is at risk of being of being lost because of being promoted right someone could come in and swoop in and offer them a job but for for vegas to be able to keep him in house and then offer him a promotion right by taking over henderson and still have him on their staff that's mm-hmm. a win so i yeah. think and it's it's definitely a promotion for him um, for sure. no doubt about that interesting news with regards to joel bouchard uh so joel bouchard's now syracuse's new coach uh benoit grew is going to be in a different role with Tampa, longtime head coach, I think it was seven years was he behind the bench in Syracuse? Yes, something yeah. like that. A long time, very highly renowned. But Joel Bouchard's coming in here. What can you tell us about the the veteran AHL coach that's joining the Tampa operation? Well, that's a, it's an interesting move uh, to me because you know typically like when you we hear when you're changing coaches, right? Like you, you tend to find someone who's who's different, right? So like if you have a real player friendly coach. Mm-hmm. Then you switch to the guy that's you know the real hard nosed you know very hard demanding coach right, or vice versa. Well, like for me, Bouchard and, and Ben Grew are, are are very similar in the sense like extremely meticulous, extremely demanding. Like they, mm-hmm. they really um, they lean on their players hard, um, which some guys respond very well to. Others uh, there can be some friction. Um, I, you know, I had heard the Bouchard. Uh, move was in the works for a while uh, but it was uh, you know it, uh, you know just as general sense is like all right seven years in the hl is a long time so you know, kind of a fresh voice a fresh start you know similar mm-hmm. to what happened in detroit with grand rapids ben simon had been there for, for the past five years has had eight overalls as assistant so um just wanted to get kind of a different uh, perspective a different uh set of ideas uh so uh, Bouchard, you know, he had a lot of success in Laval in terms of player development. Um, mm-hmm. San Diego, on the other hand, did not go well for him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I spoke with him this afternoon, and one of the things he said was like, you know, that was a different group that wasn't really kind of like he came in there that wasn't his. There weren't there weren't yeah. his players. Well, now he's going to come in. And I think I imagine he'll have at least you know a little bit more um, influence in terms of shaping things. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. Um, uh, just trying well, to I'm curious, different. Pat, I'm curious with Ben Walgrew's new rule, uh, role, rule, <laughs> role. Um, will that be with player development? Like, will he still be, because just, you know, I remember talking to Carter Verhage, um, when he was in Toronto about his days in Syracuse and he raved about Ben Walgrew, Barry Boulay, like all these guys that have come through there always mention him. I would think that he would still be part of that side of the operation but granted no matter where he is i think ben walker is extremely smart very detail oriented very respected but i'm curious if he'll sort of be working there in some capacity and be another set of eyes that's interesting like it's very kind of like murky right now like they just said totally you know he'll be 
Yeah, we have no idea. Role, it's all speculative. Like, I would just, uh, yeah. I won't be surprised to see if, if Ben Ben Guru is still, you know, maybe depending on where things go, maybe a assistant coaching position opens up somewhere. Totally. Elsewhere in the in the NHL. Um, I, maybe one of the openings in the AHL. Maybe you're just if you're hit. Maybe you're right. Like, hey, okay, I, I need to, I need to, I need to show I can do this job. The same job, but you know, in a different environment, different situation. Maybe that's the way you could go, right? Like, well, and, and I think if teams are now taking notice, like if Ben Walgrew, if he, let's just you know, assuming he would still want to be a head coach, mm-hmm. okay, teams are taking notice, guaranteed. Oh, yeah. I think that, that that's a that's a big ticket free agent. I think for sure. Oh yeah, that's a big fish to come on the market, right? Like that's the kind of thing where you're thinking like, oh. Okay, I thought we were settled for next right, hundred percent. This changes things a little bit, maybe. So, or as an NHL assistant too, right? Like, I mean, if you if you want someone that can really get find refine the details and get into, you know, be the guy that's a pain in the behind for these guys, but afterwards yeah. they're they're real happy because they propel his career. Ben Guru's probably the ideal guy there. Before we sign off, though, Pat, I want to get to Grand Rapids assistant coaches, two really interesting hires. So first, Brian Lashoff. Just retired. That guy was a you know franchise big time name with the Griffins forever. Uh, one of the longest tenured players you'll see in in one system for such a consistent period in the American League. Talked to him a couple of months ago with Sam Edmondson. Super insightful guy. You know he's definitely there's an advantage thing for Grand Rapids. They kind of overhaul their development pipeline mm-hmm. to get a guy like him that's familiar with what Detroit's trying to do. Familiar with Grand Rapids even as a market too. Let's not forget about that. You know mm-hmm. just as a city. And furthermore, assuming maybe he's the D coach, either or, but just someone that really has seen the AHL in so many different ways and the player development and can really lend an extra set of eyes as he has as a player, but now in a coaching role. Yeah. Uh, you know, Lashoff is obviously a legend in that, that market. Um, you know, a guy that has, you know, so fresh, freshly retired. So like still has relationships with, you know, pretty much all the players in the room. Um, you know, so he'll be learning that job, you know, as a, as a coach, but, um, you know, still has that kind of that ability to be a bridge between the coaching staff and the players. So I think that's great. Um, you know, high character guy, guy, kind of exactly the guy. I think he'll be the same guy as a, as an assistant coach. I think there was a captain just in the sense of like, you know, good big brother figure guy can really kind of Mm -hmm. lead these guys, you know, through the toughs. Tough times, the the ups and downs of uh, being a young prospect. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I really like that move. Uh, it wasn't a surprise, but it was still, you know, once it becomes official, I think it makes a lot of sense. I kind of thought he'd be maybe in player development or something, but mm, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not surprised or anything. I maybe kind of thought that would be the transition. But then again, I think maybe I thought that because sometimes guys don't want to jump right into coaching, but clearly he did. He did. So, but and then one more name. Stefan Julian, I don't know much about him, but you were telling me before we started, he he's a big fish and a big name that okay, Grand Rapids landed here. Yeah, I think he's a kind of guy like this will be a maybe a stepping stone to a head coaching job in the HL right. at some point. Um, tons of success in the queue. Um, came out of Sherbrooke, they won 50 games this year. He was named both Coach of the Year and GM of the Year. So, I mean, that's a pretty successful year. He also won a gold medal as an assistant uh, at the World Junior with Canada. So, um, young, bright, uh, your typical, everything you expect from a, a good young coaching prospect. He has it. Uh, this is a chance for him now to step into to the AHL game, uh, learn the AHL. I think eventually, maybe a year or two, 
it'll be off uh, kind of to run his own show. It's an interesting cast they've gathered here because they got Dan Watson, who did a great job in Toledo. Mm-hmm. He's kind of up and coming, rising coach. Then you got two assistants here, each with different skill sets, but definitely a big value there um, to help him out. Well, I think that's, that's it for today's show. Um, thank you again for everyone who listened all season long. It's been really fun doing this. You know, we're not going anywhere. We got lots of stuff to talk about, to digest, free agency just around the corner, mm-hmm. lots of players are going to move, many of which are, you know, have AHL ties or played there last year. So we're all stick- 